0: see you there. Would you guys like to set sail on this ocean of flavor with me? I'll be your captain. I'm Steve (laughs) Harrington.
1: And I'm Colin.
0: And I'm Whitney. And you are listening to Scoops Ahoy, a Stranger Things podcast, where we go week by week, chapter by chapter, and go through every single episode of the series Stranger Things, starting with episode one and season one. So if you've listened to previous episodes, you now know that we are on to Season one, episode seven, titled The Bathtub, and Colin is here with our summary.
1: Chapter seven of season one, titled The Bathtub, debuted on Netflix on July 15th, 2016. It was directed by the Duffer brothers and written by Justin Doble. It has a runtime of 42 minutes and 20 seconds, making it the shortest episode of season one. And fun fact, it is to date, the shortest episode of the entire series. It's still Saturday, November 12th, and the kids have made it back to the Wheelers safely. Mike is cleaning up 11 and they're this close to kissing when Dustin bursts in saying Lucas is trying to tell them something on his walkie. Sure enough, the bad men are coming and Hawkins power and light truck. so the kids hop on their bikes and scram. A chase ensues, 11 flips a van, and Lucas finally comes around once they make it to the junkyard, realizing it's good to have Al on their side. Joyce and Hopper have made it back from Terry Ives and arrive at the Hawkins PD to find Jonathan in handcuffs and Troy and Troy's mom telling them stories about a shaved head girl who can do things. Meanwhile, Brenner and executioner Connie Frazier arrive at the Wheelers on their search for Elle. Brenner convinces Ted and Karen that he's a man of his word and that he's here to help. Back at the junkyard, the kids take cover in an abandoned bus as a chopper flies overhead. Eventually, Hopper, Joyce, Nancy, and Jonathan get in touch with them using Will's walkie, and Hopper gets to them just in time to take out the sharp-dressed agents and get the kids away to safety. Douchebag and the Deadbeats are classing up the local convenience store parking lot when Steve decides he's had just about enough of Tommy and Carol, so he speeds off and heads back to the movie theater where he offers to help clean the graffiti off the marquee. Our heroes have made it back to the buyer's abode where everyone gets on the same page about the upside down and the monster. Elle tries to communicate with Will, but she can't get through, so she suggests fashioning a homemade sensory deprivation chamber. After a quick bit of guidance from Mr. Clark, the gang heads to the school gym, armed with a kiddie pool, a lot of salt, a couple eggs, some goggles, and a roll of duct tape. Presto, they're in business. First, Elle finds Barb's dead body, ew, and then finds Will in the upside-down Castle Byers, telling him to hold on for one more day. He vanishes from the astral plane black box, but it's enough to get Hopper and Joyce headed out to the lab to find him. Meanwhile, Nancy and Jonathan head to the police station, reclaim their boxo monster hunting stuff, and head off themselves. In the Upside Down, a tired and cold Will is singing quietly to himself when the Demogorgon bursts into Castle Byers. The end of Chapter 7.
0: I was shocked at how short this episode was.
1: I was too, but can we first just take a breath and a moment and revel in the fact that mr clark is okay
0: we can because Actually, the last
1: last time we saw him
0: he was, he was in the a, face of the executioner executioner Kylie fraser
1: yes mm-hmm. so mr yeah. clark is okay
0: he is safe he's having a date night he's perfectly fine
1: yes we will get back to that in a bit but i just want yes to, okay
0: and we can also could we also take a maybe we need a moment of silence for our dear friend barbara yes she we is, now realize yeah.
1: is no more <laughs> Has shuffled off
0: this mortal coil. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it was. It was a very, I mean, obviously it was the shortest episode of the season and and still is the shortest episode. Um, it does take place all in one day, which no episode has done yet. And it's the first and only episode this season where we actually don't see the Demogorgon.
0: Too. Oh, so. that's a good point. Because you really hmm. don't see him at the end when he bursts through. You just see yeah, the, the, the wind whatever, or the yeah. curtains or whatever yeah blow through yeah yeah,
1: but but for a for a short episode i think it's one of my favorite of the season if not my favorite of the season
0: well it just has that iconic scene of l flipping the van and it's just so cool how they do it
1: oh it's great it's a it's a great scene
0: Mm -hmm. it's a very big head nod to et too i feel like with L writing on the back it just seems very et ish to me oh yeah
1: did did you have the i'm trying i was trying to remember back i think when i was watching it i fully expected them to start flying
0: yes i did too yeah i thought they would fly
1: over the van yeah i mean we have um i remember i got my daughter um A blanket like a throw blanket and Mm -hmm. that scene is on the throw blanket it's just oh yeah it's the silhouette of the kids with the van upside down kind of flipping over them and it's a strange thing so i mean it's yeah it's certainly an iconic scene so yeah
0: so i know a running theme through this whole series and especially in season one is just how disconnected the wheelers are from their kids Yes. And it, I think it's in general. It's not just, we're not just singling out the wheelers. Joyce would probably, Joyce obviously was too, if she didn't even know her son came home right. or didn't come home that first night. But right. And so
1: we've would, been talking through the whole podcast about how, you know, back in my day, yeah, parents yeah. Would just let kids, you know.
0: But if your son ran in and he was as panicked as Mike was, and then his friend runs in and says, Mike, we have to go now. And then he just would, and he just runs out. Would you not be concerned and be like, hey, I need more information?
1: Especially after asking if there were any repairs scheduled for the house.
0: Yeah. And she just goes back to her conversation because I guess she's trying to find Nancy.
1: Right. Who's sitting in the police station, obviously.
0: Yeah. She's on the phone with Steve's mom, who seems, or dad, whoever, not helpful. Right. Because she says, well, is he there? Could you ask him?
1: Right. I don't know. I don't don't know how many times Mike has kind of done this thing before, but I mean, as far as, you know, you know, if I'm not here, you know, or, you know, if anybody asks, I've left the country or whatever, you know, it seems kind of kiddish kind of kiddish. Yeah. Like you're playing a game maybe, but there was also a certain amount of seriousness to like Dustin's line, which was actually, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I wrote down like for somebody who's like really urgent and everything, he certainly takes forever to say we need to leave right now. Yeah. you know it's not like we gotta go we gotta go, we no. Gotta go. no yeah I guess it's so.
0: I guess he was pausing to like really emphasize the yes fact that they did have to leave yeah and you know that scene which in my head I remember being shocked last week because I thought that scene ended episode six the van I right, thought it was up, at, right yeah but it's at the very beginning of episode seven and when you see all those vans coming after him and then, you know, Brenner lays eyes on 11 and he's, everybody's running back to get in the van and she just looks so hunted. You know, it's yeah, like kind of horrifying, like a feeling like that, you know, that she's just this little kid and all of these like grown men are trying to hunt her down. But when they're on their bikes, I feel like they didn't care if they killed any of those kids either, because they were like gunning those vans oh, yeah. towards them. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, I
1: agree. Well, and you, it's weird too, because as much as I loved this episode, I had like three major huge questions, like right in the beginning scene. Mm-hmm. First is why do the kids not go to like castle buyers or, you know, deep into the woods somewhere, especially if they know they're on bikes and the other people mm-hmm. ran back to their vans you know, why not go somewhere and stay off the roads, you know? Yeah. You know. Cause
0: they acted like, Oh, we've probably lost them. I'm like, you just want to street over kids. Yeah.
1: And then my next question is if you see these kids on bikes and realize they're 12 year old boys on bikes, why not have a couple of the people run after? I mean, these kids are not on motorcycles. Yeah. I mean, you could probably catch them.
0: Well, and I also thought, you know, Hawkins lab is not doing a very good job of keeping things, you know, <laughs> undercover no. because you'd think they'd want to minimize the amount of kids they kill yeah. without, it seems like covering up kids is just a lot of work. Or, so. or you know,
1: the amount of vans that you're trolling through, you know, right. Randolph and, and Cornwallis and Elm and Cherry yeah. and all these other places. And then my last question was when the van, when the van actually does flip, presumably there were people in the van. Oh, they're dead. And there's like no reaction from anybody.
0: It's almost like the people that work for Brenner are just robots. Yeah. They're just there to serve.
1: Yeah. Going back to, I called him Chet, but uh, was it Shepard when he went into the the upside down? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Like how much are these guys getting paid?
1: It was really strange. And I think, you know, again, this is like, we keep saying this, but I think it's one of these things that you notice the more you watch it. I think in the moment, you're just so amazed by the van Mm -hmm. flip. You're not really thinking about what's going on. And then you watch it again and you're like well, wait a second. There were two yeah. people. I mean, he's not even looking into seeing if they're okay or anything. No. He's just sitting there kind of smirking in the distance. It was, it was He's really like, really strange. Yeah.
0: Look at my little girl go all her yeah. powers. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's not worried about the people dying.
1: Yeah. it's really strange.
0: I do feel like Luke has totally redeemed himself with his apology to 11 in this episode.
1: Yes, I agree. And I, I kind of go back to when we were talking about the Cassandra truths in uh, I think it was chapter four that we did and how you know the whole idea of the cassandra truth how you know the audience knows and one character knows the Mm -hmm. truth but everybody else's. and i was saying at the time that you know somebody owes joyce and 11 an apology and joyce got her apology from hopper in the last episode okay where where he sat down and he's like you know i i I believe you i'm kind of with this um now i get what's going on and then in this one lucas you know apologizes to 11 so they did both get their apologies eventually so that was that was good
0: Another thing that I picked up in this episode, and it's kind of been nagging at me the entire time I've been watching, rewatching it. this, and it's not a big deal, but when they meet Eleven, it seems like she has zero grasp of the English language. Like she doesn't know how to talk. Right. Which is weird because it's not like she was raised by wolves or, you know, another species. Right. She was raised by humans who, and Dr. Brenner talked to her. And at one point he even says the word friends a couple of times so I'm like how did she not realize the word friends but it's weird that her English is so stilted considering that she grew up around other people they were just adults yeah no
1: I agree and especially you know that there was that whole scene where she had to spit the words back so she knows what words Mm -hmm. are and you know bigger words but yeah no I agree and that kind of leads me to another question I had was in the very very beginning when they almost kiss she's the one that's kind of going in for it how would she know how would she even know what a kiss is right yeah i mean
0: i thought that too
1: yeah that was kind of strange obviously it's so. all
0: inconsequential on in the whole no thing, i know things but, but
1: yeah we're just we're kind of picking it apart
0: yeah so. it's but, just one it's the things that i've i've wondered about yeah. it you know no, i
1: agree because she you know kind of toward the end of this episode she uh i mean when she's talking to will I mean she's using you know like a complete sentence I mean she's like you know you need to hold on or hang on or you know they're coming soon or you know that kind of thing or be safe or whatever I can't remember exactly what she says but
0: and can we discuss (laughs) again this is kind of back to my point about the parents not really being connected to their kids I love how Ted even second guesses whether or not they'd know about Mike having a girl in the house well we'd know wouldn't we like yeah. he, you get, you know, he takes a second and he's like, "Wait a second, would I know? Yeah. Oh, When's Teddy. the last time I saw Mike?"
1: I love Ted in this episode. I mean, starting with <laughs> starting with Jiminy Christmas, yeah, as, as the doorbell's <laughs> ringing, and you know, P.S. Why the heck can, can't they just knock and wait for a second? I mean, why are they like ringing the door off its hinges? You know? I guess to yeah. make sure they get a hold of eleven soon yeah. enough. Yeah. So yeah, he has Jiminy Christmas, and then he says they're talking about. It's like, well, what happened to her hair? <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then
0: i like how that's a concern well what yeah.
1: happened to it yeah. and then our son with a girl i mean believe me if we had a girl sleeping in this house we'd know about it wouldn't we and then oh my god the Is the government is she
0: russian? Is she oh russian? yeah is she russian <laughs> yeah. they're and like then, honey it's the government yeah, they would never do anything they're yeah. on our right. side they would never do yeah. anything to harm us
1: i love it it's, It was yes yeah. that's so Curry. great yep
0: on the opposite end of the spectrum you've got joyce though who gets on Jonathan for acting like he's all alone, quote unquote. But honestly, Joyce has been pretty preoccupied this whole time. He's kind of been on his own. So I think the
1: last time, or one of the last times they saw each other was like the argument in the street, right? I mean, it wasn't
0: that. No, that was pre-funeral. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But still, I mean, they were. They weren't on the same page then. He was still of the thought that, will was definitely dead and his mom was you know delusional right
1: but then but then nancy came and talked to him at the funeral home right well and then so then he they, started putting pieces together and then they saw mm-hmm. and then the whole thing with the photo yeah joyce
0: but joyce doesn't really know any of that stuff so as far as she knows she's but still. my thing is is like why wouldn't jonathan go to his mom and say oh my gosh, I believe you, like, here's, what can we do if you've made contact with this world? I don't know, maybe he just, I mean, he's well, a kid, you can't really I mean, he's him. been
1: busy rescuing Nancy from the Upside Down. That's too, true. So that was- um, Pretty traumatic. Pretty traumatic and time-consuming, I would imagine, too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, we don't <laughs> know yeah. how long, we don't, we don't know how time works in the Upside Down. <laughs> no. <laughs>
1: but yeah, uh, no, I certainly agree. And I, I think that scene with the two of them in the hallway at the police station, I mean, it does end with, you know, with her, you know, hugging him and saying, oh, yeah. you, know, you know, so uh I I think, you know, and, and certainly by the end of this episode, everybody's on the same page, so, mm-hmm. which, is, which, which is, is really cool.
0: It's nice because and it's something we'll see in the season finale next week, but nothing really seems, nothing has seemed to work out so far, like, you know, all the attempts and stuff and I, I really feel like a lot of it has to do with I feel like once the Duffer brothers get these kids, they're getting these characters together, and that's when they can solve the issue. They right. need they need every piece of the puzzle.
1: Yeah. And I think I think the Duffer brothers said that too, that they were, you know, using that to help kind of drive the plot forward too, because now you have you know, Hopper and 11 kind of meeting for the first time Mm -hmm. and and Jonathan and the kids are, I mean, so they're all working together. So there's some different dynamics and different people that they can, you know, introduce to each other. And, you Mm -hmm. know, even, even having Nancy and Mike kind of come together because they haven't really done anything. Well, they were
0: kind of at odds at the beginning, you know, they were arguing and, you know, typical brother sister stuff, but right. Yeah. And I know we've already talked about Mr. Clark, but can we talk about Mr. Clark? How much he loves his students to yeah. get on the phone with them, <laughs> and, and
1: with with his lady friend. You know, yeah. in the middle of watching, they're watching the, the thing. thing. Yeah,
0: and he's uh, he, you know, and he was trying so hard to get off the phone. Well, let, let's wait till Monday. Yeah, and Dustin, you know, we should never close the doors. Yes. Got to keep that curiosity door closed, right? <laughs> Got to open it. Got to open the curiosity door. And the way that it's cut, it makes it seem like he literally gives them step by step instructions, and it takes a little bit, right, on how to make this sensory deprivation tank,
1: right, with fifteen hundred pounds of salt and
0: <laughs> yeah. And,
1: oh, and the and the kiddie pool they used for bobbing for apples—that's a big pool for bobbing for apples.
0: Yeah, were they I mean, swimming?
1: I mean, usually it's like a like a, one of those aluminum, you know the. It's a bucket. Bucket, you know, kind of thing. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I do like how terrible they are getting the temperature right for the.
1: I I love that whole thing. I kept thinking that they were going to play the. Um, what's the karate kid song that you know you're the best, best around. Around. you know like yeah. a little like a training montage or something when they're <laughs> when they're like hooking up the hoses oh and yeah the line that would have been great the water and the temperature and your best
0: around uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like how they're like too cold too yeah. hot <laughs> like,
1: and then they take the egg and they drop the eggs in i mean it's all a great little montage thing I yeah like, so yeah yeah I love Nancy kind of, you know, coming to her coming into her own and I mean breaking into the thing with the rock and impressing her brother. And Mm -hmm. I mean, she's like take charge person. And you think back to when we first met Nancy. I mean, aside from the when she shut the door on Dustin when he offered her the pizza. But you know, like when she's talking with Barb in the halls and she's just she's just so mousy and so meek and unassuming. And you know, Mm -hmm. even that that first scene with Steve in the bathroom. I mean, it, she's just like a completely different person now. I love how she, she got knows, her leather
0: jacket. That's all it takes.
1: Yeah, she's she's oh, she's great now. I love it. That's yeah,
0: really fun. Okay, that's all I have for just general notes about this episode.
1: I got a couple other things. Oh, we got the dungeon game um, when the when the agents have are clearing out the house and they take the the dungeon board game.
0: Oh, um, I didn't catch that.
1: Yeah, so the the agents at one point are taking a, like a laundry basket out with a bunch of stuff that are presumably they're gonna look at later or whatever. And there's a there's a and D box and there's this, like a sleeping bag, and they also find the uh, Benny's Burgers t shirt um, that L had on. But right in the middle of the um, uh, the laundry basket is a dungeon board game, which was invented by or created by Gary Gygax, who did Dungeons and Dragons. So it's kind of a Dungeons and dragons universe kind of board game which was kind of a neat little um i never you know played it myself i don't think Mm -hmm. i even really had even heard of it but it came out in 1975 and it's still around today they just put out a new version like five or ten years ago or something like that so so it amazes
0: me just how much the Dungeons and dragons universe has evolved over the years yeah it's crazy
1: yeah it really is crazy oh the other thing i had in my notes was when nancy gets to the buyer's house and everybody's kind of streaming in and she pauses for a moment and sees the house and the lights and the mess and oh everything yeah and the and the hole in the wall and she's like whoa <laughs> she's
0: your mom great. is
1: into some stuff <laughs> yeah. um but the whole scene at the junkyard with the helicopter and all that kind of stuff and um Dustin saying it's like Lando Calrissian and they don't know who mm-hmm. to trust and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I thought that was really great, um, kind of pulling in the the Star Wars references. And then Hopper comes in and he conks out the you know, the, the agents agent. and stuff. So I think he's got like a little bit of a kind of like an Indiana Jones thing going on, don't you? Oh, think? he
0: absolutely does. I've yeah. said this and I think I've tweeted it out before from my personal account that if Indiana Jones ever gets remade, I want David Harbor to play. Indiana Jones.
1: Oh, that'd be great, wouldn't it?
0: Oh, I would. Yeah. I am not... I don't like them messing with the classics, like remaking them, but if they want to do a continuation of my favorite movies from the 80s, and that's Indiana Jones, and yeah. I would be all for it.
1: I mean, I think I'm mean, his voice is very similar. Then he has the hat. It's the, just
0: the swagger and yeah. the it's demeanor. He's kind of like the
1: everyman. He's kind of like the everyman. Mm-hmm. He's, not like a, he's not like Bruce Willis and Die Hard. He's just kind no. of... No. Yeah. It's, he's it's, got
0: that dad bod and he's just so confident in it love yeah.
1: david harbour yeah so we already mentioned r.i.p bard but how gross was that
0: right uh that
1: was, was kind of nasty
0: i was not expecting that the first time no i saw it no. for sure because it is it's they don't pull away from that shot they focus on no they pull that. to it she is very obviously dead and i don't even know if it's her whole body is it just like her upper? Uh, upper torso or maybe, yeah, it's kind of hard to tell
1: if they just started with the torso or if they're, mm-hmm. that's all that is there of her. I'm not, yeah. <laughs> I'm not really sure. So,
0: but I remember people thinking there was still a chance that Barb could come back.
1: Yeah. No, not anymore.
0: No guys. No, no.
1: So the whole sensory deprivation thing with the, uh, with the kiddie pool and all that kind of stuff. I mean, the whole idea of sensory deprivation is to deprive your senses. Right. Mm-hmm. And then Joyce is sitting there kind of talking to her and holding her. So two of your senses, yeah, sense of sense of touch and sense of hearing are not being deprived. So I thought that um, was kind of odd. So
0: maybe it's just maybe it's just she has to lose, she has to feel weightless and can't see anything. Yeah. Like maybe that's the key.
1: And she could kind of hear Joyce. And you know, so I think it was kind of, I mean, she did have. I mean, we're not saying, I mean, I don't know the laws of sensory deprivation tanks, but we're not saying that she can't do what she's doing with when there are senses coming at her but I think it's just a matter of you know she has to focus and stuff But it was just kind of strange that Brenner you know made such a big deal about putting her in the dark thing with mm-hmm. the you know no sound I no sight really
0: understand the the purpose and of sensory deprivation tanks and they're used in a lot of sci-fi movies and there is actually a spa here in Lexington or one of the surrounding counties that offers a sensory deprivation experience and it just is not something I would that does not seem relaxing to me
1: no that doesn't sound good at all I mean because I I, don't want to be alone
0: with my thoughts
1: well I I mean I've I was I was like on 60 minutes one time or something like Mm -hmm. that there was a story about like the quietest place and there's like this room you can go into that is like so absurdly quiet that you can hear your blood pumping through your body and that's how quiet this room is
0: i don't want to hear that
1: no i don't want to i don't want to like is it
0: supposed to make you feel like you're in the womb again i don't know yeah i I just don't understand i don't understand the point of them if it is supposed to serve some purpose like if you don't have your senses you can experience you know a sixth sense
1: yeah i think it's i mean it's just kind of a plot point more than more than anything else there's not any
0: like i didn't know i don't know if there's any like scientific research behind what it could do
1: yeah no i don't know did you catch i mean there's no reason you would have caught this but on the mantle um there was um great american ghost stories it was a book on the mantle. it's a very it's a very quick shot it's great american ghost stories by hans holzer but it wasn't, wasn't written until 1990. So that's a little bit of an anachronism, but you know, it looks kind of eighties ish and I don't think Mm -hmm. anybody would ever even realize it, but you know, that was, that was one little kind of thing. I do want to go back to the uh, van flip because in the book that we love world's turned upside down um, it's kind of long. So bear with me, but they talked about how they actually did it and they, how they actually filmed the scene, special effects coordinator, Caius Mann kind of talked about it in the book. And he said, We actually physically fired a van. We towed one down the street and the van had in it two nitrogen cannons, two nitrogen sleeves that fired a high density plastic slug out of the bottom of them to push it up into the air. One was just hitting a little harder than the other which is what resulted in it going end over end the way it was supposed to. So what we did was we shot it in the air and then we had the kids ride down the street with the camera in the same position. So they kind of locked the camera in the same position. So they, gotcha. they filmed the van. And then five minutes later, camera's still in the same position. They have the kids drive by. And then they kind of cropped the two images together. He said, we did mm-hmm. not shoot the van over the kids. That would be insane. <laughs> um, on the day of filming it, we pointed three cameras at it. And we had a camera in the middle of the street that was aimed straight at it. So that's the POV, uh, point of view shot from the kids. Um, and we fired it up over the camera. And the first time we did it, we had a mechanical flaw. Instead of jumping up in the air, the front end of the van jumped up and not the back. And it shark attacked the camera in the middle of the street and destroyed it. Oh my god! So that didn't work as well as we would have liked. And then he says, it turned out to be a mechanical failure in a part that we replaced. The body shot fixed up the bumper in a couple of days. And we shot it again two weeks later. It was flawless and beautiful. And as executive producer Sean Levy described it, the gag's so nice, we did it twice.
0: A little well, little behind the fun, scenes
1: there, which, yeah. I, which I thought was kind of interesting. It was kind of fun. Yeah,
0: I really like that. That's cool. Are you ready for your Colin moment? Yeah, we can do a Colin moment.
1: So I, I already kind of talked about it uh, briefly, and that was the whole Lando Calrissian bit of Dustin uh, in the van, and just—I mean—I've had a deep and abiding love of all things Star Wars for. Well, since I saw it in the theaters in May of 1977. So there you go. <laughs> and fun fact, because I was five and a half at the time, um, I got I went, I went with my mom and I got through the to the cantina scene where they chopped the monster's arm off and then there's a shot of the arm on the floor and the blood. Um, and at that point, I said, nope, that's it. I'm done. And said, we got to go, mom. So was, I was so Too terrified. Too much. Too much. So I walked out of the theater with my mom, and then I remember like a week later, we came back, and my mom, I remember my mom trying to talk the box office person into letting us in halfway through. Oh no! (laughs) So we had kind of timed it, and she's like, well, he went out, you know, he was really scared, but now he wants to go in. So we went back in, in the middle, and picked up from where I left off a week later and finished the movie. So that's my...
0: Such a cute story. Your mom probably didn't want to sit through it again. It's
1: probably what happened. Probably, yes. But yeah, but all the Lando stuff. And I remember watching Empire Strikes Back and when they end up on Cloud City and they open the door to that banquet room and freaking Darth Vader is standing there, man. Oh, man. That was, that was brutal. I was just, (laughs) I mean, again, so Empire was in 80. So I was barely nine. Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah, and Lando was just, oh, man, he was and evil.
0: It's funny if you watch those movies as an adult, though, with kids these days, it they don't keep their attention. They're boring. Yeah. The old Star Wars are boring, like, to to young kids. I can watch them, but, you know, my nephews, they don't they don't care about them at all. Oh, it's true, especially, like, you know, Empire with, with mm-hmm. Luke training on
1: Dagobah and going all through yeah. this stuff with Yoda and trying to raise the X-Wing out of the swamp and, yeah. Yeah, no, I hear it. Great, great, days. great movies. Love the movies, but yeah, yeah. kids these days, right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so that was my that was my Star Wars moment from from this episode.
0: That's really cute. Are you ready to do some homework? I feel like you might have some for me, and I might have some for you. I,
1: I have done I have done my homework, so hopefully, this homework goes well.
0: All right, this is your homework for the week, Colin.
1: You're late again.
0: Yeah, I had to get catch up homework. Uh, Number one, and again, I'm getting these questions from Notes from the Upside Down, An Unofficial Guide to Stranger Things by Guy Adams. Number one, where does Lucas tell Dustin to meet him during the opening chase?
1: Oh, Elm Cherry. Correct. Good call. Good, good call. Okay. You get it.
0: All yes. right. I, I think you're going to get all these.
1: Okay. Well, you said that last time.
0: I know, but I I know. You you
1: said I had said all of them last time.
0: At (laughs) least three, I think.
1: Yeah. So they mentioned Cornwallis, which we've already covered, was a street in in Raleigh where they lived. And then Randolph is also a street uh, in Durham where Mm -hmm. the Duffer brothers grew up. And then Randolph also Elm and Cherry. I don't know. I was going to actually ask you that. Do you think Elm was kind of a nod to Nightmare on Elm Street? And then you have the girls doing the kind of Miss Mary Mack kind of thing. You know, one, two. That's a good eye. Yeah.
0: Yeah i don't know just i don't a, just a i don't know that's a very good observation though
1: i mean he does say elm and cherry as opposed to meet me on elm street which would have been you know much more obvious but right whatever
0: yeah okay okay number two what did the boys last use the inflatable paddling pool for
1: that was a bobbing for apples right good call good good call
0: Okay. correct it was okay. bobbing for apples really gross activity
1: but i'm glad i wasn't at that party because that they must have like
0: climbed in the thing to yeah they must have gone swimming yeah
1: to bob swimming for apples
0: yeah they needed goggles
1: and i can't imagine joyce wasting all that water just to have the kids bob for apples at halloween I just mean, saying
0: i mean to be fair joyce doesn't look like she can pay her electric bill so right i mean i guess she can now right maybe she can't now because she's got all those lights up
1: yeah, I'm not paying that electric bill.
0: I, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Number three How does Dustin check to see if they've added enough salt to the water?
1: He puts the egg in it to make it float. And if the egg floats, there's enough salt in the water. Good call. Good, good call. But did you notice? And you probably didn't because it's so tiny, um, literally tiny. When he puts the egg in that floats and it kind of turns around, you can see the hole in the egg no where they, where they sucked all the so it's not really even an egg it's, it's like oh. an egg shell they sucked out all the stuff so it really did float
0: well but, if you if you have a rotten egg a rotten egg will float that's, that's how you too. tell Yeah, if your eggs are good yeah all right final question what extra item does Nancy steal from the police station
1: oh the fire extinguisher as they're heading out good call good good call
0: That is correct. You got four for four. I thought you would do all this.
1: I was trying to guess what the questions would be. So I'm like, they're sitting in the hallway and there's a tiger and an American flag on the (laughs) wall behind them. And, oh, I did catch this. uh, When Steve goes back to the movie theater uh, to wipe off the graffiti, the poster, Mm -hmm. and it's kind of on the left-hand side and you can't really see it very well, but it's a poster for Steve Martin's The Lonely Guy movie. I had to pause it and you know walk up to the screen and look at it but it it came out in january of 1984 so yet another anachronism and the duffer brothers could have picked any movie
0: it does baffle me why they do that like maybe there's just honestly there's probably so much going on i i don't question their genius i love this show i know if if anything i'm saying it's just me noticing stuff it is not to make anybody discredit them or dislike them in any way
1: but I mean, how hard is it to look in, you know, Box Office Mojo and see the yeah. three, mov- three movies that came out this weekend in 1983? It's all right. I can tell you in two minutes. Well, so, yeah, it's just kind they of were
0: busy writing an award-winning show, I guess.
1: I know. Okay, so not bad. You know, I'm I'm bouncing back.
0: hundred percent.
1: That's what That's I'm great. saying.
0: Yeah, you're doing great.
1: Okay, you want to play a quick round of? Um... Where
0: in the world is? Absolutely.
1: Okay. So aside from, we mentioned the street names, Cornwallis, we've already talked about, and then he mentions Randolph and Elm and Cherry. But um, so when Steve and his buddies are sitting outside the convenience store, and I've actually thought this was going to be a question too. What was the name of the convenience store that they were sitting (laughs) So the convenience store is called Fairmart. So this is your question for this week. Fairmart, is it a real place? Is it not a real place? And if it is a real place, where is it? And I'll preface it by saying it's a trick question. So, but go for it.
0: I want to say not real. I want to say it's fake, but then how would that be a trick question? I'm going to go with fake. No, no.
1: absolutely not. It is, or actually was an actual real place, but, and here's where the story gets interesting. Uh, It was a actual convenience store called Fairmart. I mean, that's actually what it was called. It looked exactly like it did. Um, And it is in uh, Winston, Georgia, which is uh, West of Atlanta, actually. Um, But it closed down or was demolished actually about, I think it was about a year and a half, two years ago, they had a huge like highway widening project. And so now Mm -hmm. it's a major intersection. But I found the Yelp page for the Winston, Georgia Fair Mart. And there's two comments on the Yelp page. And one, sa- and it actually says, yeah, permanently closed, not here anymore, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And if you go on Google Maps, it's actually really interesting when you go on Google Maps because you can get down to the intersection and there's one shot on Google Maps when you do kind of a street level view of it. And then you go, you click it to go forward like 25 feet on the road and it's not there anymore. <laughs> it's like this huge whole wide yeah. you know highway kind of thing. But anyway, so there's two there's two comments. One is from Monica Q in San Francisco. She says, season one, episode seven of the Netflix hits show Stranger Things was taped at the store location where Wheeler uh, ditches his so-called friends, but it's actually Steve Harrington yeah. ditches his so-called friends after they get into a fight of Nancy. The second comment is from Stephen P from Cary, North Carolina, and he writes, A decent little neighborhood grocery. Lots of old school products from the 1980s, especially like the old fashioned Coke cans. The last time I was there, some local teens were scuffling in the parking lot. But don't <laughs> hold that against the store. Uh,
0: one of the questions I could have chosen actually did include the convenience store, but it was how much does Steve's bottle of aspirin and can of Coke cost? Ah,
1: yeah. And how much of a, a douche is Tommy for like you owe me a dollar 20? Yeah. Right. Get over yourself, you
0: twit. I've got, I've got some, I've got some Tommy trivia. If we want to, okay. we can do it after your songs. Okay. After your music.
1: Yeah. There's only one music actually. Um, so there's yes, one let's, music. there's one music <laughs> in the world. There's only one music. There's, there's one, one music. song. There's one song. Um, so let's look at music. The song is fields of coral, which was written and performed by Vangelis who did obviously chariots of fire and, Blade Runner and stuff like that uh it was actually released in January of 1997 um, off his album Oceanic but this was in the scene where the whole gang comes together in Joyce's living room and they start talking about how to you know build the pool and all that kind of stuff so started out talking about how much I love this episode and all I've done is pick it apart and all the anachronisms yeah. and all the questions about it's
0: okay we still love you guys still love it
1: so thou so that's it for music for this week
0: So my little bit of Tommy trivia, it's mainly just to make me feel better. So the actor who plays Tommy is Chester rushing. And I just want everyone to know he's not a horrible person like Tommy is in the show. And he actually works with autistic kids and kids with learning disabilities by providing them with musical therapy because he's a big fan of music. And I think he might even have some songs on his own. And so Chester rushing is just a really good actor. If you hate him as much as I do in stranger things.
1: Carol however we can keep hating because she kills We can all puppies. hate
0: Carol I'm yeah. just kidding.
1: <laughs> she she no. kills puppies for a living. That's her job.
0: <laughs> no, she actually uh she's not she's not terrible either. She's she's okay. She's an okay. She's an okay gal. Okay. So,
1: so speaking of douchebags, we got to do our weekly check-in with the Steve douchebag o-meter.
0: Because she's been dating that douchebag Steve Harrington. Yeah, she's smart, you douche. And you were a douchebag.
1: This guy, man, if I was looking at a bar chart of his douchebagness,
0: it's just up and down and up and down.
1: Yeah. So th- three episodes ago, he was a uh, what seven and a half, eight, and then he drops to a zero when he invites Nancy to go see all the right moves. And then last he's week, back. He's, he's at a 10 with an asterisk. Yes. For beating the crap out of Jonathan and, and having friends that, you know, it turns out Tommy was the one that actually did the spray painting, but still he was there. And now he bounces back this week and kind of ditches his friends and then he goes to right. wipe the paint off the marquee. So
0: yeah, I mean, I, I feel like that alone drops him to a zero.
1: Yeah. So we got eight, zero, ten, zero.
0: Yeah. <laughs> In four weeks. Yeah, it is a roller coaster of emotions, but he is uh, okay. he is a zero this week because he a won't like let Carol speak about Nancy that way. Then he goes back to help the older gentlemen take off the graffiti anything else on anything or we're we're on to superlatives we're on to superlatives what should we start with this week gonna do best line
1: yeah we can do best line so i had i I had originally written down all of ted's lines (laughs) everything ted says (laughs) everything ted says but I went with um, the whole conversation that Dustin has with Mr. Clark on the phone. You know, he's you. You always say we should never stop being curious to open any curiosity door we find. And Mr. Clark goes, Dustin, and Dustin's like, "Why
0: are you keeping this curiosity door locked?"
1: <laughs> Which I thought was great. So that was that was my best line for the. Week.
0: That was a good one. I almost went with a TED quote this week. I almost went with, "It's the government. They're on our side. They will never do anything to harm us." But right. I actually went with Mike. If anyone asks where I am, I've left the country. (laughs) It's so dramatic.
1: (laughs) We have to leave right now.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So I went with Mike for that one.
1: Okay. Most spirited. This one was a little tricky because now, I mean, everything is 80s and it's just kind of go with the the dungeon board game or something, but I really got a kick out of the the men in suits, the sharp-dressed agents in the junkyard. Just the just the kind of late seventies, early eighties, three piece polyester suit that the guy he's got uh-huh. the gun, he's got the, the shiny loafers on and stuff. It just really struck me as kind of funny. Cause it's nothing that you would see today, you know, a, yeah. a, a cop and a, or a cop, you know, whatever, in a F- BIA,
0: or whatever. Secret Service. I don't be, know what you're calling it home. Yeah.
1: It's just kind of funny. So that was my most, most spirited.
0: I kind of hate to do it, but I gave it to Carol when she comes out of the gas station and she's wearing those sweet white boots. because
1: they, so they are sweet white boots. Yeah. yeah. And, and sweet yeah. kind of painted on kind of Valentino jeans or, what and you, you know,
0: you just know that she, George or something so sassy when she was wearing them. So <laughs> that's my eighties or my most spirited for the week. Okay. Most stranger. Um, I went with Barb's body because gross. I called it Barb's
1: corpse, but yes, we did the, Yeah, <laughs> we did pick the same for that one. So
0: yeah, that's just gross.
1: Yeah. And especially, I mean, cause you know, I mean, it's only like a three second shot, but you know, the first two and a half seconds is they're panning up I'm like, I'm not going to like what I see. I'm not nope. going to like what I see.
0: It's going to be bad.
1: <laughs> yep. So yeah, that was bad. Okay. So last one is MVP.
0: I feel like this is a long time coming. Finally, he finally made it, but it's Lucas because he finally apologized to L. He was the one that saved the kids. He told them that Hawkins' lab was on the way. Just Lucas, all around this episode. <laughs> Mad head. Does that mean <laughs> anything? Yeah. <laughs> is that code for something? Mad head.
1: <laughs> yeah, Dustin's great, but no, that's a good. That's a good one. I um, I actually went with Nancy uh, in this one. Just and we talked about it earlier about how she's like becoming a badass. Um, oh yeah, which is especially apparent after how she started. Uh, in the series you know but I, I think that you know when she breaks into the the shed to get the hoses and and Mike's just in there going whoa you know what <laughs> is, this, is this still my sister mm-hmm. uh, and then they have that little moment where they're like we're never going to lie to each other we're going to tell each other everything and then they proceed to lie to each other about yeah yeah um whatever. yeah l's gross and no i don't like jonathan but, yeah you know, whatever gross. i mean half a second after you say we're going to tell each other everything and then you don't but you know whatever. yeah
0: sibling. so
1: i went with uh i went with nancy so i think um uh, i think that's it
0: okay guys that does it for this week's episode as usual if you have any questions comments theories that you want us to hear about you can always email us at scoopshoypod at gmail.com If you want to follow us on any of the socials, we're there. Scoops Ahoy Pod on all of those, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And next week, we will be discussing the season finale of season one. It's episode eight, The Upside Down. So it's one you don't want to miss. I want to thank everybody for listening and I hope you tune in next time. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.
1: Stranger Things audio clips and official score are the property of Netflix. Incidental music by Blue Mount Score from Bixabay.